Welcome to CalCast, your creator national podcast. Network News, episode 146. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world, not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. Greetings, God Network News fans, to another great series that we'll be doing on movements for these next few weeks. We've got some exciting podcasts that have been recorded by some colleagues of ours, all on the topics of movements, what makes movement leaders, what makes a movement, all kinds of exciting things. We're going to be focusing a lot on what God's doing in this season of missions, which is movements of peoples, whole people groups to Christ. There's amazing things happening, miracles everywhere. One of our organizations that we are partnering with, 2414, is already monitoring 1,360 movements. And each of these movements have over 56,000 new believers among them. And these are just amongst unreached people groups. So God is up to something really fantastic. And we're going to be looking into this in the next few weeks of our podcast of God Network News. Portions of our podcast will be made up of rebroadcasted podcast interviews from a friend of ours named Steve Addison. Steve Addison is a great podcaster and very passionate about movements of peoples to Christ. And Steve has his own podcast, very successful podcast with over 226 podcast episodes. And the name of his podcast is On the Road to No Place Left. And we highly recommend that you subscribe to his podcast because he has an overwhelming library of exciting topics related to movements. And if you want to learn more about movements, this is the place to find the information. And he has lots of training and tools and other resources that will really make your investigation of this topic successful. So we really want to thank Steve Addison and his partners there at movements.net forward slash podcast. That's how you can find it at movements.net forward slash podcast for all of the resources that he has given us for these next few podcasts. Thank you very much, Steve. So let's get right into our interview with a good friend of ours, Jay Pratt, working in Myanmar. So I'm just going to start us off right now. I don't remember, Jay, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but probably about 2002, or three, I think, uh, we met in Bangkok at the guest house. And, uh, man, I just knew immediately uh, I had a kindred spirit here as far as a guy that loved 
um, one, the glory of God being magnified through disciple making and church planning movements. And, um, and anyhow, so we, I, basically we've been in touch, um, ever since then as, uh, fellow workers and, um, friends and, uh, introduced me into one of my favorite restaurants in all of North Carolina. Um, and I still make frequent trips up there, um, much to my detriment. It, my wife refers it to the sanitarium because um, she's like, it's just ruining me. But anyhow, love love that place. So, so man, just, just tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I came to Burma in 2002, and I had uh, was called to preach, but uh, you know, did a lot of preaching around West Tennessee, where I'm from originally. God really got my attention, and I, I knew how to preach for a while. I was, I was really good at it. I used to even have the, the Baptist hair for it, real perky, round, perky hair. But uh, I didn't know how to make disciples, Jeff. I didn't really know how to do that. So I, uh, I took this class uh, called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement after I went to the Philippines with my dad, the Crusades, Evangelistic Crusades in the Philippines. And then I met this guy one night at, named George in Memphis at Perspectives class. He said, you know how the like, crusades and all that evangelistic kind of big meetings doesn't really work, you know. The, and I just got back from doing that. And I was kind of like, I had this look on my, of quandary look on my face. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I, that does work. He said, yeah, but yeah, but it doesn't really, like, you know, lead to a sustainable movement. And I was like, I didn't know how to answer him because he was old and gray and was hilarious. And he said, you know, that doesn't work. And so I, <laughs> I grabbed his book and I went over and lived in Asia I told him I wanted to go and get some experience in Asia before I went back and got a degree in seminary. And then I went, would go back to Asia and, and learn from Asians first before I went to seminary. And I thought that would be really wise, you know? And then I said, I told him that, told him my plan. And he's like, Oh, don't do that. And I said, don't do what? He's like, don't go to, don't go to seminary. And I was like, but George, don't you teach at a seminary? And he's like, I'm just there part time. They don't really like me. Long story short, I went up and got trained by him at Western theological seminary in Portland, Oregon. And the first day of class was, he said, okay, you're going to start a church today. And I'm like, I don't know anybody, George. I just moved to Oregon from Tennessee. And he said, it's all right. I'm going to help you do this. And it's like, you know, how to, how to do dynamics of a small group worship experience. And then you come back here to my, my office and I'll teach you how to train people behind the scenes, the way Jesus trained people. And he said, if what I tell you does not work, I'll get your money back. So I thought, man, I'm never going to hear this again in regard to ministry. So he helped me do a temporary underground training church for two months. And this is, this is what I did. I took that model for how to do church and how to train up leaders behind the scenes and, w- and went to Burma, came to Burma here where I've been for 18 years. And that model that he gave to me was what works <laughs> to start churches with their non churches. So he set up a, uh, a judge. He had a judge on the seminary campus to find two secret police. And the two secret police's job was to find the time and the place of one of the meetings that we were going to experience this small group dynamics. And so I went and got other students who were going to close countries like I was going to. Would, he would help me plan for that meeting. And I would come back to his office. And behind the scenes, he would help me plan for the next meeting and listen to all the problems. He modeled for me the way Jesus trained people. He said, I'll help you train people the way Jesus trained people, and I'll model this for you. So I was like, I learned more by doing that. So it was revealed on Judgment Day two months later that I was the one who invited the wife of a secret police, and I was executed with water balloons at 10 paces on a cold February day in Portland, Oregon, because I invited the wife of a secret police, and he was using her as an informant. 
So I had to think about ministry completely backwards than when I was a youth pastor in Tennessee, just did not have the same effect. So they read the, they did a drum roll and blindfolded me, tied me to a pole and said, you've been found guilty for starting churches, house churches off of the seminary campus and you will be executed with water balloons at 10 paces. So the game element was, it wasn't a game, but it had a, it was a training simulation that had a game element and that we could, the underground house church leaders could execute this, the secret police if they could not find the time and the place of our meeting. So it was that, I learned more by doing that than anything I've ever done. So I just took that to Burma and uh, was going around looking for persons of peace among uh, an ethnic group of uh, 3 million people. I took that model that I got from George and just started meeting with the major at his house. And this guy was an educated, responsible person who had a, uh, could speak English so I could take a shortcut. <laughs> I didn't have to learn the language perfectly. Thank God for the British Empire that Burma used to be a part of and um, that people there you know, could link, learn enough English that I could uh, communicate with him. Behind the scenes, we did a temporary training church, just like George modeled for me, did the Lord's Supper. And then I asked him, how can we help Buddhist people feel comfortable worshiping Jesus in a, in a Buddhist-friendly way? Or what, how can we make, it, make them feel at home? And in a house church that's going to multiply. And this guy, the major, uh, within six months, he'd started about um, a dozen or so house churches. So it's pretty, pretty cool what God did through all that. And him and his buddy, uh, they kind of restarted two churches, but then that were forced at gunpoint to reconvert to Buddhism. I mean, yeah, reconvert to Buddhism. But then he, he helped those, those re, these, uh, restarted churches to go back out uh, and and reached another village that was right next to his hometown, and he's he's 84 years old now, Jeff. Mm-hmm. So he's he's on up there, but he's uh, he's still very sharp, and he raised up a lot of leaders, and he's still raising up leaders. How did you find? Like you said, you went out looking for a person to peace, and then just yeah, as well, much of that story and how it relates to how you find yeah. movement leaders in general would be great. I, fa- I found, he found me actually. I was out, I was looking specifically for Christians among this ethnic group called the Rakhine. And I found about 50, but George Patterson told me, don't, don't focus on people. Don't select people that are just, just wanting a free ride. So he, I already, I found the major that he was exactly what uh, Patterson said to look for. The second Timothy chapter two, verse two was the responsible person who already had a job, who is able to train others to the fourth generation. So he, uh, he did that, and uh, the first day I met him, he came and found me at my house. Uh, I went out was looking for persons uh, like him, and God led me to him. Or he led, God sovereignly came, brought him to me. And that, when the day I met him, we got down on our knees because I said, this is going to be good. This is mm. the guy. <laughs> this is the guy. And I said, you know, can I come to your house? And he's like, you want to come to my house? I'm like, yeah, I want to come to your house. So I would go to his house, and we did this temporary training church every day for about six months. You're listening to God Network News Podcast with your host, Cal Curtis. Look up our website at godnetworknews.com. You know, Jay, let's just sort of take principle-wise, what, what is for yourself, the major others, what, what have you guys done on a personal level for selection of looking for that person? But then on the other side, what's sort of the minimum that you're looking for in this guy's heart or in his hands? Uh, we practice this model for mentoring leaders, and, and you do you select your leaders by mentoring and coaching them behind the scenes like Jesus did with the, the 12 
in uh, Luke chapter 10. I think it's verse 17 through 28. It talks about he, he listened to them after they returned, after they found persons of peace, and they went out and they had the power rush. He listened to their report. He evaluated what they said. He assigned new tasks and new study, and he prayed for them and he praised them. He, he did this leap, L-E-A-P, listened, evaluated, or he assigned, yeah, evaluated, assigned new tasks. He praised them and prayed for them. So following that pattern that Christ did with the 12 apostles, that's kind of what we do to select leaders. Are they, do they go out and do they go out and reproduce what, what we're training them to do? And so we do obedience oriented discipleship. Uh, we use the eight commands of Christ. George had seven, but I added eight after I discovered that uh, Jesus said, go out and heal the sick and raise the dead and drive out demons. It's a basic commandment of Jesus. And if people will grab a hold to that, <clears throat> then we help them uh, decipher what are the three levels of authority to know that they have to put obedience to Jesus above and beyond all of their human traditions and, and what they think is, is what church is. And if they can get past that and just do what Jesus said, do, then that's who we focus on. The leap. I wonder if you would flesh that out a little more for me and maybe stories of, you know, one of the majors disciples, maybe just sort of how you saw that. What, what did that look like? You know, I don't know if you could just sort of, this lady came down from the major's hometown. He, she'd heard about him, and she was from his same ethnic group, the Rakhine, which are uh, primarily Buddhist still. You know, 20,000 out of 3 million is pretty much dropping the bucket. So she heard about the major, and she wanted to, you know, he, she heard that he was a follower of Jesus, and she was getting help. She came down to the big city looking for him, uh, her husband because he was a lazy drunk, and didn't want to get a job, and so she did some did some uh, old-fashioned type of uh, Rahab type work to earn some money to feed her kids. And uh, he found out what she was doing, her husband, and he left her. He came down to Yangon, where I'm at right now, and the major was at, and she heard about a man who would never leave her named Jesus. And so she uh, got radically saved. She said, according to Buddhism and Buddhist law, I'm going straight to hell because of what I've done. And uh, if Jesus will forgive bad women like me, and we shared with her John chapter four, and she said, "I'm in. I have no other choice but to follow Jesus." And so, we just showed her how to how to uh, the model for a temporary training church again, like what I did with the major. And the major was with me, and we just told Bible stories and prayed and took the Lord's supper. And I showed her. I said, "Do you think you can do this?" And she looked at me like, "Of course I can do this. You think I'm stupid? Of course this is easy." So I, I showed her the vision for a multiplying network of house churches, a decentralized thing on, on a piece of paper. And I said, this is what we're talking about. I said, you think you can do this? And she said, yeah, I'm not stupid. I can do this. So that was in, that was in August. She came to Christ. We baptized her, trained her in September. By Christmas, she had started 14 house churches. And uh, she came back. We listened to her. <laughs> we, I was like dumbfounded. I was trying to evaluate what was going on at EAP. I didn't want to tell her. I've never personally started 12 house churches. I started a couple of churches myself in, in, the, in the major's house there. But uh, she, she started 14 churches in four months after coming to Christ. And it was amazing. I said, walk me exactly what you do through what, we, what you do. She said, 11 o'clock Sunday morning, people come to my house. My daughter, nine years old, tells a Bible story that you helped us do. We have a, we have a picture Bible. I wish I could have uh, had it with me right now. I have a picture Bible. Um, that we used and we helped her. It's drawn in the Asian way. So she starts telling these Bible stories through her daughter. And then she asked the questions to pull out the truth from the, from the story. And all the people that she knows are really bad people. 
<laughs> I mean, they just like, so she looks at them with a big wad of chewing tobacco. They call it beetle, they have beetle nut here. And she said, uh, now, what truth did you learn about Jesus in this story? You know anybody that needs to hear this story? And everybody's like, yeah, I know a whole bunch of people need to hear this story because Jesus forgives sinners like us. She's like, yeah, y'all, you need to go back out and repeat the story my daughter just taught you. So she said at 2 o'clock that same day, they will go back out and repeat the story uh, to their network. And she said, the, near her house is a cascading waterfall. She said, I have my cascading waterfall strategy that uh, they come to my house and then the, the word of Jesus cascades out of my house like a waterfall. And she said, that's how I do it. And I said, I'm going to tell everybody on this planet what you just told me because this is amazing. She said, all I tell them to do is what who Jesus is and what he wants them to do. So the word of God, instead of focusing on the meetings, I've noticed a lot of people in North Carolina, Tennessee, where I, where I base my own base, they really want to focus on how to do the meeting. And I, that's not as important as are the people repeating the word of God. Mm-hmm. Is the word of God multiplying like happened in Acts, in Acts chapter 12, verse 20, uh, I think it's verse 24. It said all this bad stuff was happening, and, but the word of God multiplied. And if we can get people to multiply and repeat the word of God, that is going to be a, a powerful movement through people who are the responsive types, you know, who are messed up. Mm, that's a good word. Uh, you've been at this quite a while now, you know, because to me it's one thing to get a leader up to what I'd call shoulder height. Um, but it's a whole nother thing to walk with them and help them persevere. And, and as you know, many times in John 14, they end up doing much greater things than we ourselves without a doubt, which isn't real hard. Um, for rednecks from North Carolina and Tennessee. But what are some of the patterns? What are the things you're doing for developing leaders over the long haul? You know, for example, the major. What what has been, and and eventually there becomes, you know, you shift from maybe a Pauline relationship to more of a Barnabas relationship. But what have you seen through that? What have you personally learned over the years? What have you learned from the major over the years? Um, well, the major's daughter came to Christ through my, me, me continues to go into his house and, uh, she, she was a widow. She started to get involved with major and I and doing relief work after this big cyclone hit. And, um, so I'd been folk, I went to Burma to go reach the Rohingya people on the Western side of Burma. They're the Bangladesh, they look like Bangladeshis, but they are in majority, uh, Burma, which is Buddhist, but they are Muslim background people group, about 3 million. And, uh, we were, I came to Burma to reach them. And I, I didn't. I couldn't reach them. It was uh, a lot of different things happened, got in my way. And then uh, she started to, uh, right in the middle of all this ethnic fighting that broke out in 2012, the Rohingya started killing the Buddhists. And I just helped her with, give her some rice and some, uh, and some Bibles that just got published uh, by my friend for Frontiers. And it's a, it's a Bible and for uh, Burmese Muslims. And so the Bible in one hand, the Inj- it's called the Injil Sharif. And she had a bag of rice in the other hand, and she was a Buddhist background believer. And her people were killing the Rohingyas, and the Rohingyas were killing her people. And she shows up through, you know, in this Muslim village, actually through some contacts that I had given her. She started sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. I said, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pray like the Buddhists pray with your hands up like this. You, you pray with your hands open like this to uh, with, with Muslims. You know, don't say... Don't say uh, Yeshu, the Christianese word for Jesus. Say Isa, Isa Almasi, and that was so. It, that took like a half an hour to go through all this stuff with her, just to share with her how to do how to do contextualized uh, presentations of the gospel for Muslims. And a, a door opened up, a ginormous door for the good news of gospel of Jesus. 
this episode, please consider donating to help us continue to bring exciting stories fresh from the field. Visit our website at godnetworknews.com and select the PayPal link on the right side of the page or consider becoming a Patreon partner to receive access to more valuable materials exclusive to our members.